lots and lots of spoilers. In space, no one can hear you scream. Ah! Here at Max Mike Movies, everyone can hear you fart. <laughs> yes, that's right. We can all totally hear you, you crude Bulgarians. Don't think we can't. You should all be ashamed of yourselves. It can't be helped. Bumpy likes oats, and everyone knows those cause gas. <laughs> In this entry of Leave Em Wanting More, the series of sensational ish sequels <laughs> we're talking about james cameron's sequel to ridley scott's iconic alien aliens probably the laziest sequel <laughs> title ever geez just change one letter why don't you terminator boy doesn't even bother to add a number wait to phone it in <laughs> but we're not phoning it in no not us because we care and who is us? Well, I'm your host, that obscene space marine from Racine, Max Levine. And over there is our M-series synthetic, sorry, artificial host, Mike Luce. And we're proud to be the official podcast of Space Force. We are, too, because we called it. And that's how it works. We're, we not, even the, it. we're not even the official podcast of Rogue Warfare 3. No, no, no. I decided we of the new uh, military branch Space Force, we are their official podcast because as far as I know, there isn't another one because I haven't heard of it, so there isn't. So la, 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 I can't hear you. <laughs> wow, you don't get out much, do you? I do not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh -huh. uh, before we get into this movie, I do want to uh, bring up something that Mike's brought up in the past. We are planning to try to do a live call-in show. Real live. Either real live, clubhouse or something. And we've had a couple of uh, interesting suggestions sure. from you out there, our listening radio audience. <laughs> uh, somebody suggested we talk about Rogue Warfare <laughs> 3, oddly enough, I guess, because they're just sick of us making jokes about it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that one, maybe, how many of you have actually seen it, and I don't know if we want to encourage anybody to see it. Oh, I think that number's uh, zero. I think that's, we're safe yeah. able to say zero. Uh, we also had an interesting suggestion talking about one of the great classics, Citizen Kane. This is from Vince, and actually I'd like to, to do a yeah, call thank to you, Vince, because Vince. Vince listens, and he comments, and I keep forgetting to mention that he does so. So Vince, big yep, shout thank out you, to Vince. Vince. He's actually yep. our one international listener, because yes, Vince is. is in Canada. A... See, uh, yep, like a native. Um, <laughs> we also, uh, Vince also suggested, and I thought this was interesting, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. We could talk about that. Yep. And I guess we would have to cover ourselves with newspaper and throw rice and maybe. Oh, crap, my seat's wet. And, and uh, Mike would have to dress in drag again. <laughs> yeah, that's, no uh, one yeah. wants to see that ever, uh, ever. But we also uh, thought of what Mike had uh, an idea that we could simply talk about a topic called, you've seen that how many times? Because we all have movies, they aren't necessarily our favorite movies, they aren't necessarily movies we think are even that good, but we keep watching them. Not like a guilty pleasure, it's just if it comes on TV, or you can't think of anything else, eh, I'll watch this again. Yeah. Films that you've seen a surprising number. Maybe it was in the theater. Like there, like I we already talked about Titanic, but I saw Titanic in the theater six times, which for a theater movie is a lot. Now it doesn't equal the record of anybody I know is held by a mutual friend of ours, who uh, actually holds uh, went with the second record holder, with, which is my mother. Uh, they went to see Strictly Ballroom. My mother saw it nineteen mm. times in the theater, and I wow. believe our friend Libby saw it thirty. <laughs> Well, I think my record is uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which I saw 26 times. For me, I think, to be fair, uh, Rocky Horror, I've seen it somewhere between 40 and 60 times because wow. I used to go... Well, a friend of ours used to be an usher at the theater it played, and a lot of times, Friday and Saturday nights, I had nothing better to do. I could get in for free, so I went. But I honestly... that, that's, that same person got me a job there as an usher, so I ended up seeing at least parts of that movie... As I often work the midnight shift, a lot of times. And that's why Max so, no longer speaks to him. <laughs> <laughs> so these are all possibilities. We, we are hoping that the people would be interested in listening to this. Uh, stay tuned. Yeah, and give us suggestions. Remember, we'll, we'll, you know how to do Seriously. it, but we'll tell you at the end of the episode anyway. Yeah. Yep. 
So, but you know what there is? Trivia. Oh, really? Yep. The show. The, uh, now, as we know, this uh, James Cameron did not direct the first Alien. Nope. That was uh, Ridley Scott. The budget for that one, the original, was $11 million. Mm. The budget of this one was $18.5 million. Really? Not really that much more. Dang. The worldwide gross for the first one was $106 million. Oh. Gross for this one, $131 million. So, no wonder there were about five more of these things. Mm. Now, both of the movies were filmed in England at Pinewood Studios. Uh... This was a little awkward when Cameron came in. Oh, yeah. The the British crew at Pinewoods was fanatically loyal to Ridley Scott, and they really didn't like bringing in this American who was, at the time, a nobody. Mm. Because this was, they started filming this, I believe, in 84, which is just when The Terminator, Cameron's first big breakout movie, had come out, and it hadn't been released in England. They didn't know who he was. They, they used to give. He also did this movie with Gail Ann Hurd. She was the producer, who was at the time his wife. And the British crew used to make fun of her because she thought she only got the job because she was married to Cameron. They had actually worked together a number of times. She was a very successful and very skilled producer. Hmm. Cameron and her didn't really like the English crew that much. They came across as insolent, lazy, and arrogant. They had one guy they liked, the production designer, named Peter Lamont. After the shoot was over, Cameron addressed the whole crew and told them, this is the one thing that kept me going. The whole shoot was, the quote, this is a direct quote, the certain knowledge that one day I would drive out of Pinewood and never come back and that you sorry bastards would still be here. Wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ouch. And he never went back. Although he did hire Lamont as production designer on True Lies and brought him out of retirement to do Titanic. Huh. Well, James Cameron making friends around the world. Yeah, this is, you can see why people love him. Cementing the our film... relations with the Brits. <laughs> yeah. I was actually always curious about this. This is just sort of a trivia thing. The film, This film takes place in 2179. This is derived from Ripley's statement about Burke's transmission to the colony on 61279. We're pretty sure that's not 1979. <laughs> uh, well, no century is actually specified, but the In Universe Guide, an alien's colonial marine's technical manual that was published in 1985, set both alien and aliens in the 22nd century. I will slap you. <laughs> yeah, the events of a- alien have since been retroactively and canonically dated to 2122, 57 years before aliens. Sure. Yeah. Uh, James Cameron had the actors, the Marines, personalize their own costumes, the battle armor, the fatigues, for added realism, a lot like the way uh, the soldiers in Vietnam would write and draw things on their helmets. Like uh, uh, Cynthia Dale Scott, who plays Corporal Dietrich, has Blue Angel written on the back of her helmet for reference to Marlena Dietrich, and Bill, Bill Paxton has Louise written on his armor, which is a dedication to his real-life wife, uh, Louise Newbery. Ah, Bill Paxton, or effing Bill Paxton, as he would be <laughs> no. known after this film. <laughs> to us, anyway. Al Matthews, who plays Marine Sergeant Apone, Ugh. was a real Marine Sergeant. In fact, he was the first black Marine to be promoted to the rank of Sergeant in the field in, during service in Vietnam. This guy was a Vietnam vet. He was an honest-to-God Marine, which is why he's so damn convincing. And if I remember correctly, um, he's one of the first ones who uh, dies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah great. Afraid so. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Jeanette Goldstein, who plays Vasquez, was that's her doing the chin-up curls and the behind-the-head pull-ups, which are unbelievably difficult to establish how tough she was. Um, awkwardly, Jeanette Goldstein is not Hispanic. No. Oh. The name Goldstein <laughs> should be kind of a tip-off. We see her later uh, in... Uh, T2. In Terminator 2, as Janelle, 
the, uh, the step foster mother of John Connor, she was used makeup. They used makeup to darken her skin, dyed her hair black, and wore brown contact lenses. I see. So yeah, this is a little problematic. Which is a shame because she does a great job. She's an awesome character. Vasquez is so cool, and she has like only about eight lines, but you, you know who she is. Well, we'll get to that because that's yeah, pretty common yeah. in this film. <laughs> yes. Uh, Lance Henriksen wanted to wear double pupil contact lenses for a scene where Bishop is working in the lab on a microscope and gives a scary look at one of the Marines. He came to set with those lenses, but after a test, Jane Cameron decided he didn't need to wear them because he was acting the character with just the right amount of creepiness already. And later, Cameron said it made Bishop look scarier than the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like the yeah. Willem Dafoe effect, right? So it's like, oh yeah, yeah Green Goblin takes off the mask. Ah! <laughs> yep. They actually put everybody, uh, all of the Marines, through like a month's worth of the equivalent of basic training by a pwn, except for Ripley, Gorman, and Burke. They did the camera did this on purpose. He wanted to make it clear these guys were the civilians. Even Gorman, who's the lieutenant, is inexperienced. And it comes across, and like most movies, this movie isn't shot in sequence, but for added realism, Cameron filmed the, the scene where we first meet the Marines. They, he filmed that last. So there would actually be sort of a camaraderie already established because the actors had spent months working together. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Sigourney Weaver didn't really want to do this part. She didn't really want to reprise her role as, as, uh, as Ripley. She'd seen a lot of offers from Fox Studios to do sequels, but she thought they were all terribly written, and she really liked the character so much she didn't want to damage the legacy of it. Hmm. But she was so impressed by the quality of Cameron's script. Cameron wrote the screenplay, by the way. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yep. Yeah, uh, specifically the focus on Ripley and the mother-daughter bond between her and Newt and the precision with which Cameron wrote her character, she agreed to do it. She was a little disappointed that Cameron had to shorten the movie. There's a couple of scenes that it's kind of so unfortunate that they they take out. Like shorten in, the movie? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's still two hours and 17 minutes, but it was originally going to be longer. Ah. There's a scene where we find out Ripley had a daughter who had died while she was in hypersleep. It sort of completes the circle of the mother-daughter bond with Newt. Mm, okay. Uh, Nostro Nostromo, the ship from the first movie... It was taken from the title of a Joseph Conrad novel, which I know because I read that in college. We were trying to choose a novel in our English classes, and our teacher was listing a bunch of them. I had never heard of it. I, didn't, I had never read any Joseph Conrad, and our mutual friend Matt leans over to me and goes, you know, Nostromo was the name of the ship in Alien. <laughs> and we're like, oh, we vote for that. We want to read that. <laughs> And? Uh, the, the ship uh, Sulaco, which is in this movie, is the town where Nostromo takes place. And how was the book? The book is actually very good. It's Joseph Conrad, so it's not really cheerful, <laughs> but it's very well done. Hmm. Uh, when, when There's that, that moment where after the crew is woken up from hypersleep hyper where Hudson is giving Vasquez crap. And one of the lines is from an ancient Hollywood legend involving columnist Earl Wilson and the great actress Tallulah Bankhead. And Earl Wilson actually asked Tallulah Bankhead, have you ever been mistaken for a man? And she responded, no, darling, have you? <laughs> and of course, our, li our uh, listeners will know Tallulah Bankhead for an amazing part as Black Widow in the 1966 <laughs> Batman TV show. Or, you know, Lifeboat from <laughs> Or any of the other movies she did. Um, that's the only thing I've ever seen her in yeah, was Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Batman! <laughs> uh, inside the APV, when they're preparing for battle, you can see scrawled on white letters on Vasquez's armor is El Riesco Sempre Vive. I always wondered what this was. I had to look this up. The, it's literal, the literal Spanish translation is Risk Always Lives, which is a variant of the ancient Roman slogan, Fortune favors the bold. Huh. Now, there is a ton of other stuff. There's an enormous amount of trivia about the difficulty of filming this and the fact that apparently when they first showed the test footage to some of the Fox execs, they got really upset because they're looking at it going, what the hell you spent all the money on sets? Where are all the special effects? 
And Cameron took great pleasure in pointing out, um, those aren't sets. Those are the special effects. Those are miniatures. Those are, those are matte paintings. And they're like, whoa. Hmm. Yeah, we'll get but, to that. There's all sorts of stuff. Uh, Michael Bean wasn't set to play Hicks. It was another guy who apparently had some um, chemical issues and nice. had to be dropped at the last minute. There is a sequence where Hicks is still played by that guy, but he shot from behind wearing identical armor, so you can't tell. Mm. There were a number of other scenes that were cut out. Uh, it's like that guy this, who got pulled from uh, Back to the Future, and they replaced him with... Uh, yes, Crispin Glover. They, he no, wouldn't no, they, no, Marty McFly. Mar uh, no, I thought it was his dad. No, 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 no. The first Back to the Future... The original is Eric Stoltz was the original actor to play Marty McFly. Oh, 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 that's right. But it was it was Crispin Glover didn't want to be in the sequel. That's right. But we're I didn't so say they that. film him. They film him upside down. Um, <laughs> the audience would never know. Yeah, hey, I didn't notice, but uh, I, I, I mostly like I don't notice Crispin Glover. But yep, there, there's a ton of other stuff. Oh, I always like Bill Paxton kept apologizing to uh, what's her name Carrie Carrie Ann Hurd who played Newt whenever he, cause he had to swear in front of her all the time. <laughs> and he was so, he felt so bad about this. Yeah. And apparently Carrie, Carrie was just like, I didn't know what any of the words meant. It didn't bother me. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, we'll be talking about uh, F and Bill Paxton, but yeah. So th there's a ton of other stuff, but uh, I think that's all we can really fit in unless you've got anything. No, no, I uh, I left this one to you, and I don't okay. recall if there was any trivia. I knew I've long forgotten it. So yes, dude, tell us the story. Tell us the story, oh, Daddy. Of oh, oh. Following the events of Alien, where a single xenomorph wiped out almost the entire crew of the freighter spaceship Nostromo, Ellen Ripley, the sole survivor, she's the sole survivor <laughs> of the of the Alien Stay encounter, alive. wakes after 57 years in suspended animation to find that no one believes her story of the terrifying alien creature until the world where the Nostromo found the creature, now a human colony, goes silent. Ripley reluctantly agrees to accompany a bunch of gung-ho space marines with space guns and space cigars <laughs> into space, where they find exactly what Ripley was afraid they would find. Now Ripley and her companions, including the only survivor of the colony, a little girl named Newt, must fight for survival against some of H.R. Geiger's most disturbing <laughs> fetishes. Excuse me, again, I mean against a terrifying and implacable enemy. He's not wrong. Yeah. The lowdown. So, that's true. This was, I, I want to start off saying, as we talk about sequels, you know, we, we had some sort of overarching uh, quest questions, and I wanted to start with one, and that is, does this come organically, does this continue the story organically from the first movie? You're going to start with that. I am. Okay. I would like you to go first, because I okay. have a very long thing that I wrote for this, and okay. I would like you to go first. I think it extends nicely out of it, except it is a completely different kind of movie. The first movie, Alien, it's a haunted house movie. It is a horror when film. You, it's a horror film. Aliens is a war movie that has aliens. I think what I my note was uh, the first film is horror. The second film is action slash suspense. Because most war movies don't have the thickness or the constancy of suspense that this does. Usually the suspense is down to the battles or you know getting behind enemy lines. This the tension, which is very well done, lasts through most of the film. Like the only time it's not tense. Um, let's see. Yeah. No, when she's sleeping in the beginning. No. All right. Yeah, when we first no find her in the beginning, and, no, that's no. no that's tense no. through the whole film. <laughs> yeah, it is. This movie is exhausting to watch. It really is. So is the first one, because the, although I'll, I'll, I will say I have something to say about the first one in a second. But this one, it doesn't let up. No. There's no time to relax. There's humor, so there's like some relief, mostly from Bill Paxton, but Stop sometimes from Newt. from Newt. Yeah. Yep. Newt. Newt's adorable. Yeah, she is. Uh, it, it so it's not like it's unrelentingly bleak, 
but you can never relax. And every time you start to, it's like, psych, you're still horrible. Yeah, like there's literally that scene where they're driving the tank and, and Ripley takes the wheel and they she rams it out of the reactor building and Hicks has to come over and say, look, just stop. You're just grinding metal. And that's you're, like the moment where we get to go, <gasps> just like yeah, her. Yeah, we're, we're right there with Ripley. It's like, I can't stop. <laughs> <gasps> yeah. But so you wanted me to go first. What did you have to say about uh, the extension of the second to the first? Yeah. So the the, the question. This is one of two questions we ask. Yeah. And, uh, we will be asking the two questions, although we're asking this one now. Yep. Does the sequel feel like a natural continuation of the original movie story? I have a proposal for you. This isn't so much a sequel as it is a remake. The movie uh. has the same plot. On a planet somewhere in space, an alien species has laid eggs and wait for the next victims. Ripley and a small group of people come across this nest and soon find themselves battling an opponent they are far under-equipped to deal with. As the aliens slowly pick up the survivors, pick off the survivors, it's found that there's a traitor in their midst working to try to get the alien back to Earth to profit from their biology. Once huh. dealt with, the group decides that the only course of action is to destroy the entire habitat and to try to escape back to Earth. As the crew is slowly whittled down, it comes to Ripley alone, who goes to save her cat, uh, Newt, to face <laughs> off the alien menace, don a suit at the last moment, and just barely expel the alien menace into space. She and the cat slash Newt enter hypersleep <laughs> chamber in preparation for their long trip home to Earth. The end. At the end of the movie, Ripley is in exactly the same place she was at the end of Alien. It's the same planet. It's the same outcome. While there are some surface detail differences, Marines as opposed to crew members, none of them impact the story in any meaningful way. It's even possible to move from Alien 1 to Alien 3 and not miss anything, as both Hicks and Newt don't make it to the third film. Yeah, we'll talk about that, too. Well, we're not going to watch Alien 3. And it mm. just occurred, I was watching this last night, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this movie stinks, but I was watching it going, all of the plot points are literally the same. Mm. There's minor differences. Okay, now we have Paul Reiser playing squeaky, nasty, bad guy Burke. Uh, as opposed to the artificial person. And we've moved that role, you know, the artificial person to something he's now just helping. But we use that, you know, to make it look like he's going to be the bad guy. But the outcome is the same. There's somebody on the inside working for the company and trying to, you know, profit as best as they can off this, you know, unbeknownst to the rest huh. of the crew. But it's literally the same plot. <laughs> Interesting. I think on the surface it is. I think once you get below the surface details, they're two very different stories. First of all, the Marines are going in, they at least suspect that there's something wrong. They at least suspect, they, I mean, they have someone with them who says, yes, this is an alien, it's unbelievably dangerous, it has acid for blood. Just one of them killed my entire crew in under 24 hours. And it makes no difference at all. It ends up making no difference. However, no. it makes a difference to the attitude going in, and it makes a difference to the characters. These are not, I mean... Again, the characters are completely different. You, it's true, there is one person who's working to make money off of this or, or, or to support the company on this, however you want to put it. Yeah. But you have the um, very mercenary uh, uh, freighter freighters, uh, guys in the first movie who are only interested in making a profit, and then you have the Marines who want to go in and kick ass and conquer and be heroes and do their job. And it results in exactly the same outcome. I will yeah, say we do have we have sort of the body of Hicks as the addition, but he his being there as Alien Three proves means absolutely nothing. And she's literally she's in a cryo chamber, looking exactly like the one she was in in the shuttle. She's in orbit around that planet, about to go in hypersleep, aimed to Earth. Nothing has changed. Now I'm not saying this is a bad film. But I was amazed when I started thinking about it because I actually rewatched Alien right before this because I yeah, haven't so seen did it. I. In I haven't seen it in decades, and I was like, all of these plot points, and the she literally ends up exactly where she was, and for all we know, it's fifty-seven years before she gets home. All of the major plot points are there. All of them are dealt with the exact same way. I would argue that doesn't really matter. I don't think this movie is plot driven. It's action driven. This one particular is action driven, where the first one is tension driven. And the characters are very different in, in both of these movies. The relationships are different. We don't see much of a connection between anybody in the first movie. Uh, Everyone is just sort of there. I beg but, to differ. 
I think it's pretty obvious that Ripley really likes the cat. <laughs> yeah. Hey, she goes yeah. back for the poor thing, and that cat is not cooperative. That cat, no, every time Jonesy's it sees anybody... A, Jonesy's a jerk, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Sadly, it looked a lot like my old cat, and so I had a, uh, I have a real soft spot for Jones. Whether I, You know, uh, I didn't check. I was supposed to check to see if it was played by the same cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again... I don't I'm not saying that this is necessarily downplaying the movie and I will definitely give you that the characters are different and I do want to talk about them next but it's the same story. It's exactly the same story and it begins the same way and it ends the same way and it's fine cuz he I think, you know, spoiler, Cameron does a great job, but it's the same story. Uh now, I I mentioned this to Max, I found this out. I was watching an Adam Savage uh video and He's a big fan of Alien. And somebody had asked him about Alien and Blade Runner, and one of the questions they asked him was, did you know, you know that Alien is like totally yeah. just a rip-off remake of this 50 science fiction film called It, The Terror from Beyond Space? You know that, right? It's a film I've seen on lists for years and years, and I've never watched it. I went and watched it. And I'm here to tell you, no. <laughs> uh, it's... It's it a monster movie. It's they use the, the. I swear it's the same set from Missile of the Moon. I swear it's the same set. <laughs> oh God! And it's a different guy in a different rubber monster suit. Um, and sure, it's this time they're in Mars, so it's not actually from beyond space. It's just from Mars. Uh, and it's a monster that's trying to pick off people. Although he's actually way less successful. I think he kills like two guys, and the other six <laughs> are fine. Um, but no. <laughs> so. I also think the way the movie is made is so different. The opening sequence, the fake out where Ripley is is dreaming, mm-hmm. and she gives birth to one of the aliens. That the first time I saw that, I bought it completely. It oh, freaked the hell out of me. Yep. And I, I did think it was interesting watching it this time. It's like, huh, you know what the difference is? The alien, the parasite, when it comes out, it always comes out through the chest. This it came out through her stomach. Mm-hmm. In effect, it's more of the motherhood angle. It's like came out of the womb. Gee, I wonder if they'll Even use that in the later films. That comes up. That comes up a lot. The whole idea of the, the motherhood is a big thing in this movie. I forget As which part, of the films where, is she. The, does she become Christ? I forget that one. That's the third one. It is third just, one. She she does the pieta pose <laughs> as she falls into the molten <laughs> metal. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah that. Yeah. Now the, and by the way, the very first line of the movie where you hear "Bio readings are all in the green." Looks like she's alive. That's James Cameron's voice. Uh, was he calling it, from he, down deep beneath the sea looking for Titanic? <laughs> yep. He, his name James is James Cameron. Cameron. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, well, uh, let's go to the characters if we can. Yeah. And the casting. Okay. Uh, first off, I'll just say the casting I think is perfect. The casting in this movie is dead on. Paul it's Reiser amazing. is an inspired choice. <laughs> I didn't know who he was. And in fact, no, he, would, he I wouldn't didn't either. Uh, his big show, which was... Um, um, with, with oh, Helen Hunt. Mad About, mad mad about, about you. you. Hadn't come out yet. So I, Actually, like, I, I gotta say, I didn't know who he was. I'd okay. seen him on the stand-up comedy circuit. That's okay. all I knew. I knew he was a stand-up comic. I think I saw him maybe part of his act once. He does a great job. Mm. He is so he is. slimy and so... Whoa, okay, Ripley, we need to take a take a look at that. He's great. Um, I, everybody's just, good, but... Just the little things he does, like when Ripley, when he makes the offer, tells her, you know, go on out, we'll give you your pilot's license back, and she turns him down. She calls him that night, and he answers the video phone, goes, Ripley, and he just glances over his shoulder. It's like he's got somebody in bed with him, and he doesn't want her to know she's talking to another woman. It's like, wow, (laughs) that one gesture, that one moment, it's suddenly, it immediately gives you a picture of who he is. Yeah. It's like, wow, it's, he's not going to say, like, oh, ha- hang on, honey, I have to take this. He's not going to acknowledge this another person. Like, okay, right away, right away. That's so well done. And he, because he also starts out as kind of on the surface likable. You know, he's trying to be charming. He seems like he's on her side. Yeah. Which is important, because she's yeah. way out of the loop. She's like, she's her own grandma, and <laughs> now she can't, you know, she's got a job in the docks, and I love how she's, like, living, I don't know if she's supposed to be on a space station or where she's supposed to be, but it's this tight corridor that feels like you're in space, and somebody's bothered to throw trash on the floor. <laughs> I was just like, okay. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, you notice how, it's it's only in a quick shot, her, she has that tiny little bathroom in her apartment. Okay. 
That is from a British Airways plane. <laughs> that is literally an airplane bathroom she wow. has. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we get the Marines. Everybody liked the Marines, oh, and they I, did the Marines so well. They're all instant archetypes. Yes, we only you know, them know by who their they last are. Singular names, which is fine. Uh, they have just enough personality to make us know who they are and think of them as fully developed characters. But we literally don't know anything about them, and it doesn't matter. It's fine. Yep. It, they they just have these iconic moments, just where a, a Poe and the sergeant. He wakes out of hypersleep. Everyone else is groaning. The first thing he does, shoves his cigar in his mouth. Yep. Doesn't light it, just puts the cigar there, and he's up on his feet, and he's doing the whole, oh, I love his little speech. I love the core. Yeah, every, yeah. Every meal of banquet, every paycheck of fortune, every formation of parade. It's like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I like him. I'm really sorry that he. I mean, he was nobody yeah. was going to make it, but no. he. I you know knowing that he's a he was a Vietnam vet and a sergeant. Good. It's like when they brought in that guy to um, uh, was Ar- it Fo- Arlie Ermy from uh, Full Metal Jacket? Yeah, it's like, yep. good casting. You you know again. Perfect. Uh, the guy who plays Drake. He's he's barely there, but I love him and Vasquez because Drake is this really tall, ripped guy. And he and Vasquez look at each other as equals. And yep. there is never a question in Drake's mind. It's like, yeah, she's a point man, I'm a point man. I hate to use point man, but whatever. That's the term. The two of them are like, and you kind of get, they're probably a couple. And Maybe, but I get the feeling they're just really close friends. I mean, the way she'll like, you know, he's like, Vasquez, you're just too bad. Slaps him on the face. And she is, and she's great. Vasquez is yep. great. I'm really sorry that they did the whole, for want of a better term, blackface thing with her. Because here's a positive um, uh, Latina role model. She's tough as nails. Nobody ever questions her. She is never in distress. Not until the end of the film where, quite honestly, she's had her legs melted off. I can give her that moment of, ah, this really hurts. After killing like 20 of the aliens by herself. And you notice she and Drake are the ones who carry the biggest, heaviest guns. Those are Steadicam harnesses that they used for those guns. Those, by the way, weighed about 70 pounds. Wow. And they couldn't keep the straps on. They had to duct tape them to the actors because they kept falling off. And Hicks, he plays the calm, cool, collected, I'm not in charge, but I'm going to be in charge really quickly. Oh, how did that happen kind of guy. Um, I like Michael Bean. I yeah. He did a few action films right in a row, and then he seemed to disappear, which is a damn shame. Um, and then we get... Oh, we get Butter, Hudson. We get Hudson. F and Bill, Bill Paxton. Paxton. F and, and Bill sadly, Paxton. F and Bill. I started calling him F and Bill Paxton, and I used the full word, but yeah. I don't have to beep it. I started Frickin calling Bill him Paxton yep. because he started getting these roles where he'd be sitting there and like, "Oh man, we're dying. We're game over." And like this seemed like every time you saw him. Like, even in a preview, he like you'd be watching, oh, I can't wait to see this film, and then he'd show up, and I'd just go, oh, it's effing Bill Paxton. Which is apparently, too bad, because he's a really nice guy, apparently. Yeah. And he does and, have other acting ability. It's just, he got... And again, it works for Hudson. Hudson's another archetype. He's the cocky, loud-mouth, wise-ass. Yep. A lot of his lines, by the way, were improvised. That whole <laughs> game over thing, that was him. Okay, so I can blame Even, him for it. And the little, <laughs> the little thing, you know, where he's uh, looking for the colonists. He has that line: "Stop your grinning and drop your linen." Yeah, I always wondered where that came from. That's from an AC/DC song called "Shake a Leg," <laughs> which is fitting. Yeah, and, you know, and we already yeah. know Ripley. Yeah, and, and you have Pharaoh, who's obviously the hardcore pilot who just is so competent. Again, that's given away with just one line. When they're flying through the storm, you can't see anything, and she's going, "Where's the damn beacon?" Oh, I see it. <laughs> You're like she can see it. We can't. No one else can. She's the only one with good enough eyesight. And boom, that one line. It's like okay, I would have no problem having her be the pilot. And in general, the women in this film are treated equally. There's not as many of yeah. them, but they're treated equally, which is great. Yeah. The only thing I have to say is, why do we need to see Ripley in her underwear at the end? Oh, because James Cameron wanted to see Ripley in her underwear at the end. <laughs> Other than Probably. that, it's great, because again, no question. Oh, she's a Marine. She can do this. Oh, she's a pilot. She can do that. Oh, whatever. The only person they question is Ripley, because she's not a Marine. Yeah, she's a, she is that worst of creatures. They don't like her, and they don't like Burke, for the simple reason 
that to Marines, to most soldiers, civilians are insects. Yeah, and in a way. And it's mm-hmm. the best thing is, is that once she proves herself, they kind of like, okay, we like we still don't like Gorman, but we like you. <laughs> yeah, and I love the scene where she's volunteering to help. And that, that great line, you know, is there anything I can do? And Apone just looks at her and goes, I don't know. Is there anything you can do? <laughs> like, whoa! And she just, she does not bat an eye because... You know, she's not a soldier, but she's she was a captain. She was she could uh, she pilot a ship. And she's like, I can drive that loader, and I love how he both he and Hicks just crack up when they see that she can actually do it. Well, to be fair, and she then, wasn't a captain; she was a second in command, which is second still, in command. True. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that that's terrific. And Gorman actually is great. He is the ter- again the archetype of the utter. You know this. This is some kid who went through ROTC. You know, ended up as an officer because he he knew the right people or his family had money, and he you have to give him a little credit when they when they ask him how many drops this is from how many missions and he says you know thirty two, and he could leave it there but he says simulated because <laughs> how many combat drops two including this one yeah and that's when you can just see them all going oh we are in so much trouble i also just i I always think of him as lieutenant green i always get his name wrong and i i yeah it's just a thing um ripley proves herself we already know we saw what she went through and she she managed to get out with the cat so you know we it's just up for the characters to see what she's able to do um, so, and again, we literally know nothing about these people. I don't even nope. think everyone ever calls her Ellen once. We only nope. know people's last names. There is one scene that was cut where Ellen, uh, sorry, where Ripley and Hicks tell each other their first names. Oh, do you know what Hicks's was? Uh, yeah, it was Dwayne. That's way hi, too hi, close. Hi. That's way too close to Dwayne Hickman, who is yeah. the star of uh, the Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. <laughs> Maybe that's why they left that out. <laughs> you, you, and, the, and you know, it, it's good that we don't have, we don't need yeah. that. And, no. you know, again, this is not about character development, as Max said. This is about action. And Cameron can, when he when he's good, he's very good. And when he's bad, he's terrible. Uh, yeah. uh, just like the little girl with the curl. And he manages to get this, not character, but archetype and action thing together so we're invested and he doesn't have to waste a lot of time on exposition or background or daddy issues or any of that stuff right yep we immediately know about these characters we're invested in these characters right away and you have to have that in a movie like this because that's where the tension comes in we don't want them to die no no we don't uh, and, and that little girl who plays Newt, oh my god. I oh. felt so, after seeing the film, I felt so, it's like, does that little girl just have the worst dreams for the rest of their life? I mean, I don't know, but. I can tell you this, uh, she, that was her last acting role. She went on, she became a teacher. Good for her. But yeah. she, she's, she's that really face. good. Yeah, she's just oh. like that stare that, like, I've seen too much stare. And even when she smiles, you're like, she's not over this. <laughs> oh, God. And the fact that. You know, she's the one who's got it all going on, you know? She's, and the scenes with her and Ripley are so sweet and so tender and absolutely believable because it's not like Ripley melts over her. No. She's still exactly who she is, but you can tell she just loves this kid. She just really has this need to take care of her, and Newt clearly needs someone to bond with because she's all alone. She's lost her parents, her brother, and... (laughs) I like it how she holds it together better than Hudson does. Yeah. You know, he's losing it, and she's, you know, there when the APC crashes, <laughs> and Hudson's like, that's it, that's it, we're dead, I don't know you And News just like, we'd better go back, you know, because it's, it's going to be dark, be dark soon. soon, and they mostly come out at night. Mostly. mostly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's the one who, and she... Newt is the one who understands because Ripley says to her, you know, don't you think you'll be safer with us? And, and she just looks at her and just shakes her head. And <laughs> she's right. <laughs> but we have Marines. It won't make any difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think also Cameron did something very wise in that he sets up the mother-daughter thing or mother-children, if you want to be a little bit more general thing, so we can have this nice comparison and contrast with what we eventually meet, which is the alien queen, who, in her 
way uh-huh. <laughs> uh, loves her children, her eggs I, anyway, because you can well, see when Ripley's blazing fire at them that she screams, not yeah. like, hey, that's, that's what that I, you shouldn't do that. It's like, those are my children! Which and is, that's what makes her back off, is Ripley points the flamethrower at the eggs, and she's like, whoa, oh, back off, back off. And Don't then you see the yet. teenage boys literally skull, okay, we'll go back into the shadows. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally what Sorry, they're doing. Sorry, Mom! <laughs> okay, we'll do what Mom says, because Mom loves her. Okay. Okay, um, I'm just gonna go play Nintendo. Uh, yeah, pretty. Yeah, I'll play uh, Alien on my. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a question for you. This is uh, not one of our talking points, but actually, yeah. I, I brought it up into the talking points because of the aliens uh, and the way they're portrayed in this movie, much more so than the other one. Yeah. Uh, do you get the impression that the xenomorphs are actually sentient? That's a really good question. I honestly don't know. I think their intelligence is so different. I think they're not animals. I tend to think of them like a virus. Okay. Their whole purpose, they never, they don't seem seem to want to communicate. They have no objective except to reproduce and kill things. Mm-hmm. It always it always reminds me a little of that line from Jaws. You know what you have here is a perfect <laughs> machine. All it does is swim and eat and make little sharks. <laughs> you know they didn't like, need a bigger boat. <laughs> yeah. They yeah they needed a bigger boat and a much bigger bomb. Yeah, uh, I don't know. They're clearly intelligent, you know, the way monkeys or raccoons are intelligent in that they can get into things. I'd they say they're cunning. Cunning, yes. I would go with cunning. They can adapt. Mm-hmm. But for one thing, that, that they're not tool users. No. The, the well, idea is they're she does use the elevator, kind of. Well, she does. <laughs> yeah, they figure out how to open doors and how to use the elevator. They're very cunning. I think the idea is if they are intelligent, it's an intelligence we don't understand. And I, they're not animals. I mean, Hudson is like, how could they cut the power? They're animals. No, there's something more than that. That's what's so frightening about them. They don't fit neatly into a category. Mm-hmm. They're not like, ah, you know, aliens need women. They're not uh, here to invade. Or... <laughs> <laughs> wow, not... another bad science fiction film I've managed to avoid. <laughs> yep, yep. They're not here to steal our precious metals or, you know, they're uh, here to drain the salt are. from you. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> they're just, and and as I think the idea is we find, as we find out, much in some of the prequels, because yeah. gosh knows prequels are always good. Uh, well, there's only one, isn't there? The idea is that they're like a punishment. They're they're a weapon. They're that's what I, I always I always thought of that these things were basically biological weapons. Okay, that's I think what is implied by uh, that film that I really really hate and don't want to talk about. Yeah. Um, and that, that they were made. Although even that film isn't clear about what the heck's going on. No, because... real no, that film isn't clear. And then we're done. Um, yeah. Anyway, which is, let's, which not, is let's not get into that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I, I was sitting there trying to consider it too, and it's not clear. And it's almost like they've evolved, although it's shown later they haven't actually evolved, but it's almost like they've evolved past the need for it. Because, like, we don't need any of those things. All we need to do is make baby sharks. Baby shark. Do, 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 do. Oh. Stop it. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but the, it, you have to wonder what is what do they do? Like, what happens if they take over a planet? And they convert, there are millions of them. Do they do anything else or do they just start killing each other or they just just die out? They just hang out or they wait for. hmm? Apparently, they can wait a really long time as eggs. I assume, quite honestly, I think what happens is they slowly eat each other. Uh, Yeah, what else could they do? I mean, they. Except, you notice something? We never see them eat anything. No. We don't know what they survive on. No. Yeah, there. No, it's a really interesting thing. A lot of that was one of my other questions: is the science in this science fiction movie? Uh, it does it sit there and make you? Is it like magic in uh, one of the, in some of the other movies where we go, wait a minute, if they can do this, why can't they do that? Or does it hold together? I would say that strangely enough, the implied I'm going to say implied science in this film. It's actually pretty reasonable. Like yeah. the ship, they're in cryosleep, which means to suggest that while they have achieved fa- uh, faster than life travel, they're not doing it much better than that, or they're either, or they're doing it much very close to the speed of light. Um, so they still have to be out. And cryogenics is not really outside the realm of possibility. We can't do it yet, but it feels like something we could do. Um, yeah, 
I love the drop ship. When I remember seeing this in the theater, and this film does lose a lot of watching being watched on TV, the mm. feeling of that drop ship going through the atmosphere, I felt it was going really fast. And hey, why not do it that way? Why waste a whole bunch of energy on, you know, landing the giant ship? Let's just drop this plane and it can do it. Now, I do have one question. Yeah. Why did you leave the Sulaco with nobody on it? I, I was a little <laughs> curious about why you don't have a backup crew. I mean, yeah. Marines are not are, are not dumb that way. They have a, a support staff. You couldn't bring like one guy. I mean, just one honestly, guy whose job was to, this, this wasn't supposed to be a long term job. You have one guy who stays on, unless it's like insanely expensive to transport multiple people. But again, it might be one of the things I like about this is they don't go out of their way to explain things. No. They don't say, ah, we're going to use the kumquat drive, which will uh, cause space to invert itself along the lines of a pineapple. And Yeah, and I that's just the one thing. Because to me, if I was one of those, those salvagers in the beginning of the film that find Ripley, I would, as soon as I found out how the Marines worked, oh, I'd be following their ass all over space. Because it's like, okay, let them land. Yeah. They've all left the ship. We're taking this. <laughs> Yeah, what are they going to do? They're a billion miles from anything. Yeah, the only other question I I had about the quote-unquote science, and it's not even really about the science, is the scene where the alien queen gets all pissed off and she rips the egg-laying part of her thorax off. She doesn't even bleed. It's like... Well, they don't see... Well, if she bled, she'd be spraying acid everywhere. I know, but it's like... You literally just basically ripped out two-thirds of yourself. Because that thing... It's maybe even more... And she's able to continue to fight and make it up. She should have bled out. (laughs) Maybe, except I think there are certain types of insects that do that. They grow a large egg sac off their body. I think queen ants do this, and they can detach themselves from it. It's not not lethal. It's it's a strain, and it can weaken them to the point where they die, but it can be done. I mean, it didn't ruin the movie for me or anything. No. That's the thing. I think the science in this works because A, it doesn't go overboard explaining and B, most of it is like the guns they're using Mm -hmm. are guns. They shoot bullets, not ray gun, not zap beams, not, you know, phase plasma rifle in a 40 watt range. (laughs) Hey, just what you see, buddy. (laughs) They do call them plasma rifles, so that must be some kind of propellant. Pulse. Pulse, pulse, yeah, but true, pulse cannons, but... uh, uh, I, the only odd piece of science that's in there, and again, it doesn't bother me, is Bishop. Mm. It's like, and it was the same with Ash. And the, this is an AI, mm-hmm. and not only is it an AI, it's a, it's an Asimovian AI. I had that in it's, my notes too. Yeah, because he says it because of my programming. It, it, it he uses Asimov's first law of robotics. It is impossible for me to harm or through inaction allow harm to come through to a human. It's about and, time. <laughs> As far as yeah, as far as we know, it's uh, it's he has the other two laws too. We don't know. But could you uh, tell your buddies the replicants because we were having problems with them? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and it's interesting. Originally, the line in the movie when they're listing, you know, they're telling him what what model number Ash was. They they say he's Hyperdyne A series. It was supposed to be Cyberdyne. Oh, which okay. is out of Terminator. Which, yeah, you know, Cameron's other way. They didn't. They didn't want to do that. Well, that's good because that would have been awkward. Yeah, and weird. that would have, that would have taken you out of the movie a bit. And Bishop, I love the way they they he's he's great. I love the way they handle him because all through it, you're like, do we trust him? Is he on our side? Because we saw what happened. We're right there with Ripley, who doesn't trust him because the last artificial person she ran into tried to kill her. Yeah, never trust Bilbo Baggins. You just cannot trust that guy. <laughs> I, it was it was so jarring to see Ian Holm as as this killer robot, and it's like quick distract him with eleven Z's. <laughs> well, how about Ollivander there uh, getting the chest thing yes. busting out? <laughs> but John Hurt must have been like 12, oh. 13 when they made yeah, Alien. But, He's so yeah, young. He made, he, yeah, but he already looked like he was sixty. I think yeah. he was born looking like he was sixty. Yeah. Oh, and um, poor Ed, the late Yafet Koto. Yeah, he just died this week. Recently, and he was terrific in that as Parker. I liked him a lot. He was very like, this is a working class guy. He doesn't care yep. about any of this space crap. I just want to get paid. 
And he was uh, starring right Harry next Dean. to the other working class actor of that film, Harry Dean Stanton, which is about yeah. as working class as you can get. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and real quick, because we're not discussing that film, I gotta say, all things considered, Alien holds up very well for a 1979 horror film. Even it's, the special effects, it holds In up. some ways, I have to say, when you know where the scares are coming, it often feels very slow. Mm. Because well, you're not... That, that's just, and that's the way it is with most suspense movies, even the really good ones. Once you know where to, the the frights are coming, it take it, it loses a lot of the tension. And there were some other things too, like the Nostromo. It is the wettest, greasiest spaceship <laughs> I've ever seen. It's literally a scene where Harry Dean Stanton's character walks into what I'm getting guessing is the engine room, this big two-story tall cylindrical tower thing, and it's basically raining. And he's like, yeah. oh, this feels good. And I'm like, dude, do you know where that water's been? And he's just standing uh, in it. Oh, that feels so nice. Here it is raining in space. I'm like, what? <laughs> Whatever. I do want to get get back to Bishop, the uh, the, hmm. the android. He does, uh, he does come across as very creepy. He's trying to be helpful. He's not because uh, Ash was a little more antagonistic. He was more like, "Let me do my job." And Bishop is very here. Would you like some cornbread? And well, I think their positions can, are very different because uh, yeah. Bit, uh, Ash was thought to be a human, and he had the position of science officer, which, as was pointed out by the captain Dallas, who was quite honestly not a great captain, <laughs> yeah. um, points out that it's like, "Hey, there's certain areas where he supersedes me." And yeah. that made things a little bit more sinister. Bishop just seems to be there to help. Like, like yeah, Bishop, don't... and now synthesoids are apparently standard issue. Like, mm. oh yeah, we always bring one on the on these missions. And uh, Lance Henriksen, by the way, s- took a private oath to himself that if he this movie wasn't a success and if it didn't jumpstart his career, he mm-hmm. would stop acting because oh. he had not ha- this, he had not had a lot of successful parts. Terminator was just about to come out, and he only he's only in that like two scenes. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, and this this made his career. Hmm. And uh, interestingly, uh, before this, one of the things he was was a potter. He was a ceramicist. And I oh. know this because one of the customers at the comic store I used to work for had bought pieces from him. <laughs> no kidding. And I think he actually was, uh, he practiced pottery. Is that a thing? Uh, you, uh, pottery practicing in uh, the Massachusetts area. So weird, but there you yeah. go. <laughs> You never know who you're going to run to. One thing I really notice about Aliens as opposed to the prequel, the dialogue is much better. If you think about Alien, what do you think are some of the most quotable lines? Uh, and I just watched this film, but yeah. I also watched it, The Terror yeah, yeah. from Beyond Space. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the tagline in space. No one can hear you scream. But that's not dialogue. Um, that was the that was an ad yeah. point. But what's some of the most memorable dialogue? Well, here's the thing. The tone of that film was really different. That film felt a lot more detached. It wasn't as focused. And the characters felt more candid. They didn't feel as scripted. And I'm not saying this is necessarily a bad thing, but Aliens, the one with two aliens in it, <laughs> feels more scripted, way more scripted than the first one did. The first one, I think, seems more conversational. I think you're right. It's more, yeah. uh, more sort of Robert Altman-esque, which is why it's sometimes hard to hear them. Yeah, it has that, that slight cinema verite feeling yeah. to it. Like, you know, we're, the, the camera's floating around a little bit more. Um, you're going to miss some of the things being said, especially Yafet Koto. He's just like, mm. you know, I think we should get full share because, you know, I, we were taught we should just settle this right now. We should get full <laughs> shares. And he does this many times because yeah. it's obvious that he wants to make more money. Sure, we all do. Um, so in that way, I'd say there aren't any quote-unquote quote quotable lines from yeah. Alien, but it's also not that kind of film. Yeah, true. This one, though... A lot more memorable stuff. Even oh, sure. that that amazing line, you know, get away from her, you bitch, which is, <laughs> that is just the F yeah moment of the whole movie. I remember being in the theater when she's, when Ripley's there in the power loader, facing off the queen, and she says that the place went insane. I couldn't hear the yeah. movie for like a full minute. Everyone was just screaming, yeah, all right, woo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in a way, this film was even more propaganda for the military than the book. Not so much the movie, but the book of Starship Troopers. Yeah. Uh, the, the book of Starship Troopers is a dangerous book because it really makes it seem like you should join the army. It's going to be a great time. Well, to be fair, uh, it was written by, I mean, Robert Heinlein was a career Navy man. He loved the, right. the Navy. 
And there is a slight reference to that book in this film. There's one point where Hudson says, is this going to be a rescue mission oh. or just another bug hunt? Yeah. And bu- bug hunt out. is from Starship Troopers. Yep, yep. The book. The book. We're not talking not, about the movie. No, not the movie. Not the movie. So. Don't you get the, like, I may be synthetic, but I'm not stupid. And that wonderful, <laughs> I love the exchange between Newt and Ripley when she's trying to get Newt to sleep. And she says, grown-ups say there are no monsters, but there are. And... Ripley, you know, is just looks at her honestly and says, Yes, there are. Says, Why do they tell little kids that? Because most, most of, of the, the time it's aren't. true. Yeah. <laughs> and this you can't really argue with any of that. Uh we're but, getting towards that time. We got one yeah. or more of our questions we gotta get to. So uh does the sequel surpass the original and does it need to? My opinion, I don't think so, but as I said at the beginning, it's not the same kind of movie. No. It's a very different movie. I think it's at least as good, and I don't think it needed to surpass it because it didn't try to. It didn't say, ooh, I'm going to do a better horror movie. It said, no, I'm going to take this and make it a war movie. I think, which was, I think, a really good choice of James Cameron because, let's face it, James Cameron can do some really good work, but he cannot match Ridley Scott in terms of atmospherics and tone and subtlety. Mm-hmm. James Cameron is... <laughs> Yeah, James Cameron is very good. Subtle, he is not. The boat sinking! The <laughs> yeah. boat sinking! Yeah. Hello, I'm the bad guy. Yeah, yeah got... the, tonight the part of the iceberg will be played by James Cameron. <laughs> Hello, I'm the dramatization of an evil guy. <laughs> yeah, I, li- I... I like James Cameron a lot. I like a lot of the stuff he's done that didn't have blue skinned people in it, but he's uh, uh... he's not subtle. No. Uh, I again because they're so different films it's like they're not even trying to achieve the same thing the first film's trying to scare you and it it succeeds in that very well and it uses science fiction as a backdrop um there is no that that film the first film could have taken place in a haunted house yeah. like there's really nothing about space that makes a big difference except oh you know there's an airlock or whatever sure it could have been the furnace you're throwing the you know freddy krueger into yeah. whatever um did it need to uh, there's not that much time between the two of them. It's obvious that the first film did really well. I'd say it needed to be as equally as successful, and in a way it wasn't, right? Because when you told me the budgets, the budget was lower on Alien, and it made slightly more. So, uh, no, in a ma- way it, it wasn't. It made 103, the other made, uh, Aliens made 130. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'd say about equally, close to, close enough to, it's like, eh. Uh, of course, that... It, also, you know, spawned to sequels plus Ugh. versus somebody. And then there was and, Alien and, versus Predator. And, and uh. whatever. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's it's a very different film. I'd say it's equally successful in what it's trying to do. Um, I'd say most people would say it's more memorable, if no reason, other reason, because it's an easier watch. It's action-y. Yeah. It's exciting. It's not so much just tension and it's faster paced because things change the 80s were a lot more faster paced and you know mtv and all that stuff the quicker cuts they didn't mm-hmm. want to build for atmosphere that wasn't a thing they did much anymore and they still don't um, and cameron has never done <laughs> so it's like as long as the film can be entirely blue i'm happy because <laughs> uh, this film is almost entirely it's very blue blue there's yeah. a lot of blue here uh, I would also like to point out this this movie, in addition to the money it made, this movie won two Oscars, best sound editing and best visual effects. And Sigourney Weaver was nominated, didn't win for best support for best actor. And that was the first time a woman for an action movie was nominated for an Oscar. I got to say, the special effects don't hold up that well. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to say that it's and the thing is, is that. The miniatures, I think, are well-made. I don't think they're well-photographed. And there's Uh, times when it's like, this looks great. And there's other times, like, it's a toy. And I honestly think it has to do with the way it was photographed because it's uh, the same model. Uh, The ships look great. The mm -hmm. dropship looks great. I love the tank. There are times when the tank is not full-size, and there's times where it is. Most of the set things, you know, like the, the colony and the... I guess you could call it a city on, mm. hey, come and visit beautiful, glorious LB426. You'll oh, be yeah. glad you did. <laughs> you made a colony. Couldn't you name it? Come on. Yeah. LB426. Well, I like the fact that if you they show you one shot of like this, there's a street and there's only one sign. It just says bar. So yeah. come to come to the come to bar. We, we have LB426. alcohol. 
Mmm, <laughs> you'll have a time. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, there's there's places where it's like the special effects weren't quite as good. Uh, we could talk about why they still hold up in Blade Runner because it's a very different approach, but that would take forever. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to get to? Because we are at nope. that point. Nope, I'm good. The Roundup. Max! What? Oh, you first. Ah, I said Max first. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> ah! yes. So you saw it when it came out, right? I did, and many times since. Yeah. Uh, so I, what do you I like this movie a lot. I think it's terrific. I think it's an amazing action movie. You know, it ain't Shakespeare, but it's not trying no. to be Shakespeare. It's no. real. I think the performances are terrific. It's true. A lot of the effects they they show their age, but for the for what they were, considering, uh, I think they're still really good. Uh, the characters are memorable and likable. You you immediate, you care about what happens to them. The science fiction part it it's great. They don't over explain anything, which is really yeah. important. <laughs> Term midichlorians is not used once. <laughs> Or Magiclorians. Or Magiclorians, yes. I know that's ours. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoy it, and I think it's I think it's a worthy sequel, even if it's a totally different movie to the first one. And I have to say, the third one just flat out pissed me off because it's a big middle finger to the second one. And or uh, to good cinema. Yeah, it's it, <laughs> well, it's not. It's I have to say, as a movie objectively, Alien Cubed or whatever. <laughs> it's adequate. I mean, it's moral. It does. No, it was competently shot, and there are a couple of adequate actors in it. Is it's the just one with the, the dog. Uh, I honestly don't remember. Mm, see, that's the thing. I don't remember much about it. Uh, it's just. It's not worth it. And Alien Four is just the wheels just came off, and they we're like, we're not even trying to be serious. Look, we're going to throw in Winona Ryder, and here's Ron Perlman, and you know what? Here's Dan Hedaya. Like, uh, what? Now I remember. Dan Hedaya? <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. See, I couldn't actually remember if I'd seen it or not, but now that you. Oh, okay, I remember this now. Yeah. Yes, mm. yes. It, it, yeah. Uh, yeah. And we're not even going to talk about the sequels, but the prequels. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. what about you? What do you? How do you feel? What do you think of this movie? I was wrapped the first time I saw it. I actually saw it as a as a matinee with our friend Matt, uh, who I think I have actually it may have seen it before, but we went to see it together in, in one of the bigger theaters in Boston. I can't remember which one. And so as a matinee, it was not full. And I remember they had me the in the earliest scene where she's in the hospital and she's starting to thrash and she knocks over her IV because the sound was very loud. And when the IV hits the floor, I jumped just yeah. from that. It's like, <laughs> okay, you got me now. Just that. Um, it's fun. It is. It is a like the blueprint for science fiction action films. If you want to make a science fiction action film, you could do a lot worse by looking at another film to copy. Yep. Um, and I, you know, my my proposal is that uh, James Cameron felt the same way about the plot from the first film. He just basically <laughs> refilmed it his own way because <laughs> it's it's the same story. I've watched it many times. I will watch it again. I have long since forgiven F and Bill Paxton, and I actually will say Hudson's lines are wrong with him because it's fun. Um, yeah, I, I I don't really have any complaints. Even the couple of things I brought up is like, why is the spaceship left alone? Whatever, it's <laughs> yeah. fine. Yeah. What, we've talked about this. If you have problems with your story, if you tell the story well enough, the audience is going to overlook those yeah, things because they're more invested and they're having fun. We forgive it. Yep. So. I think that oh, so closes out. So, uh, tell us, uh, we do have no, some no, no, business, no, business here. Business, yeah. yes, that's true. As we said, we are hoping for suggestions about our live show, which you can email to us at us at maxmikemovies.com. You can also leave a comment at our website, maxmikemovies.com, which has the complete back catalog of all of our episodes in rare foil collector packs. Trade them with your friends. We also are available, of course, on uh, your podcast app of your choice, either Google or uh, the Apple one or iHeartRadio. We're on Spotify, and you can find us on the mediated socialness on Facebook or Twitter under Max Mike Movies. Mm. So, what tower of cinema, what, gl what glorious follow-up are we going to watch next week, Mike? Well, we're wrapping up our series. Yes, this we will are. be the last episode of Leave Them Wanting More. So this um, has got to be something just amazing, right? This has got to be 
this has got to be a, to leave them with a with a bang, right? We've had some of the most, the greatest sequels, you know, Godfather Two, Aliens. What do we got, Mike? Oh, oh, it's gonna leave them with a bang, all right. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I think it's gonna. Hurt. So, it was there was a film I really wanted to do as part of this series, and it looked like we weren't gonna be able to do it because, really, strangely enough, I couldn't find it. So it's I started so looking into other things. I thought about doing T two, but we just did a Cameron film. Yeah. And quite honestly, T2, what needs to be said about that? Um, it's it's a fun film. It's actually very it's similar in tone to this one. It's the blueprint for an action movie, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I thought about fr- fr- <laughs> Frozen <laughs> 2, but I couldn't even bear to say the title of oh, the film, dear. so I don't think I could watch it. Wasn't that and then bad? Fr- I, I, you say so, yeah. whatever. Uh, and I thought of other films, and you know, we we talked about Wreck It Ralph. Uh, we could do Wreck It Ralph too. Yeah. And I was like, eh. and I kept looking. It's like, can this film really be scrubbed from cinema history? Is it really that hard to find? It's not an oh, it came back. So our audience and Max especially is very lucky because if I'm not mistaken, Max, uh, you've only seen this film once. I've only seen yeah. it once when it came out. Yep. Uh, it is the sequel to end all sequels. It is a sequel that's going to have us asking lots and lots of questions, not least of which is, why? Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's not the same version that we saw, and we'll no. talk about this. It's a sequel that has since been um, appended, yeah. and the original version cannot be found. I suppose, actually, no, on videotape, if you want to order a copy <laughs> of VHS through eBay, you can find it. But otherwise, you're going to have to watch the renegade version of Highlander 2, uh, The Quickening. Uh, and spoiler, it ain't that quick. <laughs> I never understood how there could be a second one, because as we're told in the first movie, there can be only one. And yet, and next week, you will see why there can be only Two, or <laughs> three, or f- four. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.